hppodcraft.com. In the morning, mist comes up from the sea by the cliffs beyond Kingsport. White and feathery it comes, from the deep to its brothers the clouds, full of dreams of dank pastures and caves of Leviathan. And later, in still summer rains on the steep roofs of poets, the clouds scatter bits of those dreams, that men shall not live without rumor of old strange secrets and wonders that planets tell planets alone in the night. When tales fly thick in the grottos of tridents, and conchs in seaweed cities blow wild tunes learned from the Elder Ones, then great eager mists flock to heaven laden with lore, and oceanward eyes on the rocks see only a mystic whiteness, as if the cliff's rim were the rim of all earth, and the solemn bells of buoys told free in the aether of fairy. Wow. wow. <laughs> I, think, I think I just got aroused. <laughs> what? Aroused? Yeah. I, all that that planet on planet action in that uh, paragraph there. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I was thinking of the, um, you know, that aether of fairy is the stuff I think the dentist used when he pulled my wisdom teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> yeah. What what are ca- caves of Le- Leviathan? Le- uh, Leviathan. Leviathan. That's like a, just yeah. a big sea monster or something. Yeah, it's just a big big old sea monster. That's all that is. Don't be scared, Shannon. Oh, okay. It's just a story. All right. It's a story that's called The Strange High House in the Mist by yes. Howard Phillips Lovecraft, famous 1920s horror science fiction writer. And uh, we're reading about it here or talking about it here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. And it's hppodcraft.com. And that reader who so eloquently produced those words is uh, none, yeah. other, none other than Scott McDonald. Scott McDonald uh, making a return to Kingsport after reading for us on the festival. Yeah, he was our, our Kingsport guy. And uh, I'm happy to say that his doctors are allowing him to read this story. So yeah. he's, he's on board for this one. Hopefully you'll get to hear it from the cell. <laughs> Wait, who are you? I'm sorry, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. This story is quite a bit less horrific than the festival was, however. Right. Uh, I, I, I will say that I do love the title of the story. I mean, it's a great title. Yeah, it is. And there's some elements of the story that are really neat. I, I thought really cool and interesting and provocative. Well, so the first paragraph, he's just sort of giving a sense of place. And there's this mist that comes up against the cliffs in Kingsport. And it's very mystical, right? I mean, yeah. it, it seems very magical. Yeah, it has. It, it shares <laughs> It shares the information with the clouds, its brothers, and dreams are are scattered in the rain to poets and, and visions and things and you know it's very yeah uh you know hippy dippy kind of stuff yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man lovecraft would hate to be called hippy dippy i know it's hilarious i know yeah, well so the mist rolls up against these cliffs that are all around uh, kingsport and most of the cliffs folks in town they like mm-hmm. they've got one they call father neptune they've got one they call the, the causeway mm-hmm. um but this one cliff is so high and tall and nobody really likes it the portuguese sailors when they pass it they cross themselves yeah and uh up up on that huge cliff there's a house all alone up there yeah it's on this crazy high cliff and uh maybe we should maybe i should maybe scott should tell us a little bit about this house the ancient house has always been there and people say one dwells therein who talks with the morning mists that come up from the deep 
and perhaps sees singular things oceanward at those times, when the cliff's rim becomes the rim of all earth, and solemn boys toll free in the white ether of fairy. This they tell from hearsay, for that forbidding crag is always unvisited, and natives dislike to train telescopes on it. Summer boarders have indeed scanned it with jaunty binoculars, but have never seen more than the gray primeval roof, peaked and shingled, whose eaves come nearly to the gray foundations, and the dim yellow light of the little windows peeping out from under those eaves in the dusk. These summer people do not believe that the same one has lived in the ancient house for hundreds of years, but cannot prove their heresy to any real Kingsporter. Even the terrible old man who talks to leaden pendulums in bottles, buys groceries with centuried Spanish gold, and keeps stone idols in the yards of his antediluvian cottage in Water Street, can only say these things were the same when his grandfather was a boy, and that must have been inconceivable ages ago, when Belcher or Shirley or Pownall or Bernard was governor of His Majesty's province of the Massachusetts Bay. Wow, okay. That's the terrible old man. He's coming back. Yeah, it's good to see the terrible old man hanging out there, still buying groceries with his his doubloons (laughs) (laughs) and uh, talking to things in bottles. Yeah, it's great to see that character come back. Now, this story's cool in that they do bring um, a few different things. Lovecraft, more and more, as we see, is starting to use his old stories and his own mythology within his new stories, and I think that's really neat. Yeah, that's really neat. And I think this idea of a house... That is up in this position and nobody remembers it not being there and nobody yeah. can get to it is really cool. That's a, like a really creepy. It's really cool. Cool concept. Yeah, it's great that uh, and people see the lights on at night and they just don't know what's yeah. going on up there. That's what that, I'm telling you. That's the cool thing about this story. The problem with this story is there's, you know, phrases like jaunty binoculars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What does I, that mean? I have doesn't make any sense. How could binoculars be jaunty? It, are they do they have little I don't pink know. happy messages on the side or something? You hold them sideways in some way or something. I don't know. It doesn't yeah really invoke anything in me except confusion. But you know when the terrible old man says, "Well, my grandfather yeah. was afraid of that house too." You know it's been there a long. That's time. flipping yeah. old because the terrible old man is, as his name says, old. Yeah, he's very old. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, this philosopher breezes into town. This this is a, a kind of our main character, Thomas Olney. Yeah, it, that really confused me. By the way, when he came in, because I quickly looked him up to see is this guy is actually somebody, and he's a settler of of Rhode Island. He's a settler of Providence, rather. Oh, I didn't know that. Thomas Olney. Yeah, uh, he was an early minister. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. He's the early minister of the First Baptist Church in America and a co-founder of Rhode Island and Providence Plantation. So I thought, well, wait a minute. This seemed to be taking place in Lovecraft's modern day, but you know, Thomas Olney was around in the 1600s. Yeah. Uh, so it, it sort of confused me. I mean, he 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 died in 1682, so I didn't understand for a moment. And then I realized, well, he just took the name. Yeah. And made it this character. Exactly. But that's cool. I didn't know that's an actual borrowed name from from Rhode Island history. Yeah. So when he Thomas breezes in and he hangs out in Kingsport and he's got a wife, a stout wife. Stout wife, yeah. And yeah, romping and children. Kids. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he just kind of, you know, chills out in Kingsport, walks around. Uh, mm. He talks to the terrible old man, gets some good stories from him. Yeah. And Terrible Man doesn't usually talk to folks, but, you know, he's talking to Thomas, so Thomas must be a pretty cool guy. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. He comes into town, he's like, I like the cliffs, I'm digging the town, I'm going to go talk to this terrible old man. He's not afraid of him. 
No, no, he's not. And then as he's asking, you know, you know, talking about local history and, and stuff, uh, something comes up. Of course, it was inevitable that Olney should mark the gray unvisited cottage in the sky on that sinister northward crag which is one with the mists and the firmament. Always over Kingsport it hung, and always its mystery sounded in whispers through Kingsport's crooked alleys. The terrible old man wheezed a tale that his father had told him of lightning that shot one night up from that peaked cottage to the clouds of higher heaven and Granny Orne, whose tiny gambrel-roofed abode in Ship Street is all covered with moss and ivy, croaked over something her grandmother had heard at second hand about shapes that flapped out of the eastern mists straight into the narrow single door of that unreachable place. For the door is set close to the edge of the crag toward the ocean and glimpsed only from the ships at sea. Very cool. I mean, that, yeah. when I was excited to reread this story because I think I read it when I was young and I remembered that very well, that the house is on a cliff, the door opens to, to nothing. To nothing, to the ocean. It's a drop. It's like hundreds of foot drop. You know, it's, the house is right up to the edge. Yeah. And that's funny because um, I, I've... In in England, there have been places that have built right on the edge of bluffs, cliffs, and things, and then uh, the uh, erosion will take them away. And there's buildings that have actually fallen off into into the ocean, like because they're hundreds of sure. years old. So that kind of yeah. makes it even more um, weird and creepy and and unnatural. The fact that it's it's been on this cliff, this edge, for mm-hmm. a long, long time. So it's been in this weird, precarious. It's really ah, it's just neat. In terms of setting, I mean, you really can't beat it. And now when I was reading the story again, I thought, oh, man, I really wish that this was, um, well, you know, I shouldn't criticize it too hard. I think that it, it's, I, there are a lot of folks that really like it, and uh, and it definitely sits well within, I, I, I think Lovecraft was probably very pleased with the story, you know? Mm. It, it really seems to hit on a lot of the mythological stuff that he likes. What I liked about it was the more horrific aspects of it, but I think that overall that's what I struggle with with his work, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested in what is that, you know, the door that points. What's knocking on the door that points to nothing? Right. And, and what's yeah. that creepy thing out there? Whereas he's more interested maybe in old uh, Celtic gods showing up and. Yeah. Yeah. When I I think your seashells and <laughs> fairies along, you know. And I think uh, you share probably a, a, an opinion that most people who are fans of Lovecraft share. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's somewhat disappointing after some of the stories that we've covered lately. You know, we had some Call of Cthulhu and some Pikmin's Model, and it seems like we're really ramping up. And then the last couple of stories, we're going, well, "What are we doing? Yeah. Why are you dragging me back to this fairy stuff?" Yep. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, Chad, uh, we're going to be getting some more of that soon because. Uh, yeah, you know, I know. The Dream Quest. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Thomas is super um, excited by this story, and he just makes a proclamation. He's going, I'm going to go up to that house. I'm going to figure out a way to get there. Because he gets this idea that that maybe, because Arkham is on the other side of this kind of this mountain where this type, this uh, the house is. So he thinks right. there maybe there's a way to go up from Arkham, and maybe the guy that lives up there or whoever lives up there goes down to Arkham, and the people of Kingsport just don't know anything about it because you know, he just never comes down to Kingsport. Yeah, they just don't have the right perspective. Exactly. He goes over to Arkham. I mean, he you know kisses his wife and his kids goodbye, and he goes, I'm going to make this happen. So he goes around to Arkham, and then he cuts through the woods and goes up, and it's, you know, there is no path that goes up there. He has to actually, you know, push his way through the mountains and uh, or through the hills and through the woods and fields, and he finds no paths. And then he 
gets up to a really high ridge and then there's this big crag that goes down about 10 feet so he has to climb down the crag and go across and climb up the other side of the crag until finally when he climbed out of the chasm a morning mist was gathering but he clearly saw the lofty and unhallowed cottage ahead walls as gray as the rock and high peaks standing bold against the milky white of the seaward vapors and he perceived that there was no door on this landward end but only a couple of small lattice windows with dingy bull's-eye panes leaded in 17th century fashion. All around him was cloud and chaos, and he could see nothing below but the whiteness of illimitable space. He was alone in the sky with this queer and very disturbing house, and when he sidled around to the front, he saw that the wall stood flush with the cliff's edge, so that the single narrow door was not to be reached save from the empty ether. He felt a distinct terror that altitude could not wholly explain. And it was very odd that shingles so worm-eaten could survive, or bricks so crumbled still form a standing chimney. Wow. That is... Yeah, as you say, it's amazing that this thing is still standing up there. Yeah, and it, it, the fact that it is is sort of defying reason and logic, and it makes it extra creepy. And uh, it, it's, I'm excited. When I was reading the story, I was like, wow, okay, we're... We're in, man. This is great. This is going to be so yeah. creepy, and they're going to, you know, it's setting such a great mood, and and you can't, he can't see even the water. It's sort of like you know when you're on an airplane and you look out the window, and the cloud texture almost seems like it's a land all on its own. It would be very yeah. odd to just see a house sitting there in the middle of it. So Thomas is, uh, he wants to figure out how to get into this place or see what's going on inside. So he starts sort of creeping around the house. And looking in the windows, then he hears a bolt, and uh, somebody is coming into the house. He hears the door open and shut. You know, yeah. so whoever it is came home somehow. Somehow, uh, he's not on the side. You know, obviously he's not on the side where the door is because you can't get around there. Yeah. Then he hears somebody, you know, wandering around the cottage and the windows opening. Yeah. So he moves around to like as yeah because he, he doesn't want to be scene he's he, he kind of steps out of the, out of the way because he's a little scared yeah exactly but you know sooner or later this guy's gonna see him because he's opening all the windows in the house he comes around to the north side and the guy pokes his head out the window and he gets a he gets a glimpse of this guy who lives in the, the strange high house stuck out of a west window was a great black bearded face whose eyes shone phosphorescently with the imprint of unheard of sights but the voice was gentle and of quaint olden kind so that Olney did not shudder when a brown hand reached out to help him over the sill and into that low room of black oak wainscots and carved Tudor finishings. The man was clad in very ancient garments and had about him an unplaceable nimbus of sea lore and dreams of tall galleons. Ugh. And this is where, <laughs> this is where it makes a crazy turn and I, I get a little, I'm getting a little lost. You know, Lovecraft had me. And then yeah. a dude with a soft voice, phosphorescent eyes, you know, glowing. There's like a glow mm -hmm. to his eyes. And yeah, well, he's he's seen unheard of sights. And that's what the, that's what that does to your eyes physically. Yeah. The guy looks young. Yeah, he's a longer, younger guy, tanned skin, dark hair. And he invites him into the house. So he, they, he crawls in through the window, obviously. He starts telling him all these, you know, crazy tales. You know, he's nice. He's a nice guy. And he tells him of about uh, the kings of Atlantis and how they fought with slippery blasphemies. Yeah. And he talks about uh, the Titans. And uh, he also, in this little bit here, 
But the host grew timid when he spoke of the dim first age of chaos before the gods or even the elder ones were born. And when only the other gods came to dance on the peak of Hathig Claw in the stony desert near Ulthar, beyond the river sky. Bringing in some past stories again. Yeah, know. another past story. That's uh, the... The other gods. The other gods. Yeah, exactly. Also, Ulthar gets brought up again. You know, we just had Ulthar mm. last story. The other gods. It's interesting how he brings in some things that are outside of his own created mythos, you know, like Atlantis. and Yes. Um, and Poseidon, Titans. Those are yeah, all the, the Titans. Yeah. 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 I, I, and this story does that. It mixes some older mythologies with his own stuff. And that's pretty interesting. I did like that sentence about the kings of Atlantis fighting with the slippery blasphemy. Well, then it makes me wonder, you know, because I, I think there's all sorts of different philosophies about why Atlantis fell why it sank into the ocean. Right. But this seems to imply that it was because of a battle with sea monsters. Right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I like it. Some sea monsters attacked Atlantis, these blasphemies, and, and they were the ones that brought it low. Yeah, it could be. Maybe, you know, this is some kind of reference to Dagon or other, you know, these ancient underwater creatures and civilizations and things. It's pretty neat. And as they're talking and having a great time and he's listening to these tales, there's a knock at the door. It scares Thomas. He kind of, he kind of jolts, but then the... The bearded guy says, hey, chill out, just be quiet. And he, he tiptoes over to the door and he looks through a peephole and then he just puts his fingers to his lips and says, you know, like, shh, shh, don't say anything. And then he tips over, tiptoes over to the windows yeah. and closes and locks them and closes them all. And then something, because, you know, because <laughs> yeah. these are distorted glass, so you can't really see through it, but you can, light comes in, something moves around the house trying to get in and then it goes away. Super creepy. Yeah. It's some kind of shuddering blasphemy that is able to, uh, to knock on the door from space, uh -huh. you know, so it's floating out there in the mists. And then it, it's really creepy that it's double checking whether he's home or not. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But he, and he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't really explain what the heck that was. And he just goes on to his other stories and the day gets long and he lights some candles and, you know, I'm thinking maybe something romantic is going to happen at this point, <laughs> you know, like they're having this really cool conversation and they're really into each other. I thought, you know, there's going to be a little magic. Yeah. Anytime, anytime Lovecraft introduces a, a little bearded man, you know that there might be some romance. <laughs> so they're interrupted before anything happens, before anything gets down. There's a knock at the door, but this time the knock is almost like a code, yeah. a certain rhythm to it. And the bearded man gets up, just walks over to the door and opens it up, doesn't check through the peephole, doesn't do anything, just blows it open. And then, and then he gets an eyeful of this. And then to the sound of obscure harmonies there floated into that room from the deep all the dreams and memories of Earth's sunken mighty ones. And golden flames played about weedy locks, so that Olney was dazzled as he did them homage. Trident-bearing Neptune was there, and sportive tritons and fantastic nereids, and upon dolphins' backs was balanced a vast crenulate shell wherein rode the gray and awful form of primal nodens, lord of the great abyss. And the conchs of the tritons gave weird blasts, and the nereids made strange sounds by striking on the grotesque resonant shells of unknown lurkers in black sea caves. Then hoary nodens reached forth the wizened hand and helped Olney and his host into the vast shell, whereat the conchs and the gong set up a wild and awesome clamor. And out into the limitless ether reeled that fabulous train. The noise of whose shouting was lost in the echoes of thunder. 
What? <laughs> I mean, what is going on? <laughs> I'm not. Even, I'm not going to pretend to even be intelligent. I I read this. I don't know what is happening. Noden shows up. Isn't he like he's like a Celtic god of some kind? He's not alone. It's like a whole party of insane gods showed up. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. Neptune well, is there. Hold on. Hold on. I'll break it down for you. First, yeah, yeah, Neptune, who is you know the god of the oceans. The Tritons are like mermen. Neptune had a son who was called Triton, and he was just kind of Neptune light. But then in, uh. in, the, in the folklore, it sort of changed into Tritons, plural, and they're like messengers uh. of, of Neptune, but they are like mermen. They're half man, you know, lower half their body is fish, upper half is, is a man. Okay. The Nereids are foxy chicks that come out of the ocean. They're just real sexy oh, and right. stuff. And then Flounder and Ariel were in uh, Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, in, it's in the subtext it might as well man yeah. and might as well and Noden's, like you said is a celtic god associated with healing the sea hunting and dogs so there you go mm -hmm. so these and dogs and dogs yeah so they show up they come into the room and then they're like hey baby get on board and then the old the, the bearded man <laughs> and thomas jump in this giant conch shell and then they fly off it's like the ending of greece <laughs> It totally is. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, man. This whole party just shows up. They blow into the room. I can't imagine what that's like because, you know, there there's some dolphins involved yeah. as well. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The dolphins have uh, somebody on their back. It's just crazy. The whole thing's just crazy. And they're flying dolphins, I guess, yeah. because there's no water up here. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the people in Kingsport <laughs> see this uh, going on, and there's a big storm go going on on top of the hill. So everybody's watching. Yeah. Know, watching the well, storm. They don't actually see it going on. They just see the... They're watching the cliff because they know that he's up. That Thomas is up there. Right, but there's a big thunderstorm you know. that's happening while this is happening. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, but they don't, they're not seeing flying dolphins. Oh no, no, they don't see any of the the cool stuff. Yeah. Or, you know, I use that in quotes. They don't see any of the cool <laughs> stuff up there. The next day, Thomas comes down. He's fine. He's dry. He's not wet after this whole storm happened. He just comes down. Hey, what's up? What's going on? He chats to everybody. Yeah. Nothing seems out of the ordinary. He can't really remember what happened, you know, exactly. He goes to the old man, tells the old man, he goes, you know, I think there was some stuff that happened with some, you know, there was a guy with a beard and maybe, maybe some gods showed up. I don't remember. It's all kind of vague. I, it's a dream to me. I don't know. Yeah. And so the terrible yeah. man just kind of goes, yeah, 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 yeah. he just kind of shakes his head and mumbles some queer things. And then yeah. <laughs> he says, the man who came down from that crag was not wholly the man who went up. And that somewhere under that gray peaked roof, or amidst inconceivable reaches of that sinister white mist, there lingered still the lost spirit of him who was Thomas Oldney. He came back changed. Yeah, something's different about him. A couple of things about that that are interesting, actually. Well, one, it's something that somewhat annoys me, is that Lovecraft frequently will have his protagonists go and do something really amazing or see some really crazy things, and then they can't quite recall. You know, he never finishes it. How did they get out of this situation? How did they get back? They yeah. always just wind up on a road somewhere. Somebody finds them. If this guy comes back, people have been staring at that house up on the cliff for so long. This guy goes up there. Everybody knows he went up there. He comes back down. He's like, well, I don't really remember how I got up there or how I came back. Who... Who isn't going to sit him down and just beat him till he tells them what yeah. he knows? Like, I mean, they <laughs> maybe not beat him, but these are the worst interrogators of all time. Yeah. People aren't curious? No, well, see, here's the thing. Maybe they're they're not curious because they're afraid of what's up there. They don't want to know what's up there. And maybe they're afraid he was going to stir some stuff up. And since he comes down, everything seems fine. They're just going to let it go. I don't believe it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The other thing that is interesting, though, is he kind of goes on this fantastic journey. He goes up there, meets all, he meets Poseidon and Odin's, and they go flying around all night. But it actually has a negative impact on him. Yeah, the spark of his life just kind of goes out. He's not really into philosophy, not into all the, the great things. I mean, he, he's a good guy. He, Lovecraft says specifically he's a good citizen. And his wife, you know, gets fatter and his kids grow up and, you know, and he moves away. He goes to Bristol Highlands, which is in mm -hmm. Rhode Island. And he just kind of lives out his life. And that's it. Yeah. But up. Yeah, he becomes probably what his wife and kids wanted him to be, which is just a solid, steady guy. And not a dreamer. Exactly. Perfectly fine with his own philosophy and is a good dad and a good husband, but isn't always running around and trying to climb cliffs or do anything yeah. like that. Now, now that he's out of the picture, people in Kingsport, there's new stories flying around. And people say yeah. that, that they're hearing, you know, at night, sometimes they can hear pleasing voices and singing and laughter. And the lights from the house seem a little brighter than they did before. And even the uh, yeah. aurora comes, uh, you know, lights up the sky, which it usually doesn't that far, that far south. So some, yeah. something extra has happened to it. You know, people are worried that it's going to attract the young people of Kingsport, that people are actually going to go up there, go visit this house, and the same thing's going to happen. And they'll come back and they'll, ha they'll have lost their passion. And it'll, th things uh -huh. are going to get louder and there's going to be more, more music and it'll attract more attention. And it'll attract more attention mm -hmm. of creepy things, you know, of, of the bad stuff. That it might attract the attention of the old gods, that they might come back from the deep and from unknown Kadath. Right. Which is going to play into our next story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that leads us to... All these things, however, the Elder Ones only may decide. And meanwhile... The morning mist still comes up by that lonely, vertiginous peak with the steep ancient house. That gray, low-eaved house where none is seen, but where evening brings furtive lights while the north wind tells of strange revels. White and feathery it comes from the deep to its brothers the clouds, full of dreams of dank pastures and caves of Leviathan. And when tales fly thick in the grottos of Tritons, and conchs in seaweed cities blow wild tunes learned from the Elder Ones, then great eager vapors flock to heaven laden with lore, and Kingsport, nestling uneasy on its lesser cliffs below that awesome hanging sentinel of rock, sees oceanward only a mystic whiteness, as if the cliff's rim were the rim of all earth, and the solemn bells of the buoys told free in the ether of fairy. And that is the end of the story, looking very much like the, the beginning, beginning of the story. Yeah. Complaints I've heard about this story is... Uh, is essentially that it's written kind of poorly, you know? Yeah. For example, the repetition of phrase that he uses in uh, in the end is from the beginning. I think he even repeats some of those phrases at other times in the story. Yeah. Is that necessary? No. I don't think it is. I don't think it adds anything to it. It doesn't connect anything from the beginning to the end. It's it's a forced connection. You know, the, yeah. the only connection is that it's used from the beginning. It doesn't address any of the stuff that you can, your soul can go off and hang out with these people and these gods and do all these things you know that's not addressed in the beginning and it's not there's no new insight provided you know looking at the beginning again at the end it's kind of sure it's weak or uh almost like a song you know he'll create a nice turn of phrase at the beginning and then he repeats it again in the end and it's pleasing because he really did some good writing for his intro here i you know the the buoys tolling free in the ether of fairy eh. no it's very disappointing. I wasn't uh, particularly into that story. Um, I have to say this, though. I, I found a web comic 
Oh yeah, that this fellow, uh, a fellow named Jason Thompson, has been drawing and and putting up online, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Reading his comic version of this was way better than reading the story. I oh, yeah? thought it was really good. Yeah, it was much more interesting when it had that strong visual component. I don't know. I, I, the guy's very talented. He was making the story pretty interesting, I thought. Well, this story was originally uh, written on November 9th, 1926, and it was submitted to Weird Tales in 27, but rejected, rightfully so. In 29, Lovecraft agreed with uh, W. Paul Cook to publish it in his second issue of The Recluse, but uh, it just didn't happen. Like The guy couldn't get it together, and it never got yeah, published. never came out. Never came out. And so he resubmitted it to Weird Tales in... 31 mm-hmm. yes in 31 and it got accepted and he was paid 55 dollars hey that's not too shabby no there you go so that's it that's kind of the background of that story uh well next week um we're gonna really be getting into the dreamlands with i believe the almost the last no it's not quite the last one of the no. the, the big dreamlands epic of randolph carter and the dream quest of unknown Kadath. i've never read that before so it'll be an interesting i have Here's the thing. I've tried to read it before, and I've never gotten through Not it. Really? I, I take it as a challenge to us, Chad, you and myself, mm-hmm. that we need to not only get through the story, but understand it. This is when the audience really needs us, because if I, if I was a listener, <laughs> this is one of those stories that I've, I've never gotten through and never, never thought that I could get through. So we're going to have to take, okay. take our listeners by the hands, you know, get our machetes out and chop through this jungle that is the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. Well, I have faith. You know, I mean, Ken, when he was on last week, kept mentioning it. He said he really liked it. He does, yeah. It's something he loves a lot. So if he likes it, there's got to be some good there's stuff. There's got to be some good stuff in there. So um, hopefully you and I will be uh, wrong about this and we'll really dig the dream quest. I want to thank Scott McDonald for reading for us today. Great job. Sounded good. Sounded good. Melted my heart a little. Yeah. He's, yeah, he sounds great. And um, hopefully he'll be getting getting out of the institution soon <laughs> and again i want to thank everybody for all of their donations we're in the process of mixing haunter the dark right now yeah. so it will be up for you to have very soon very soon thank you so much for contributing and that's all i've got that's all i have i'm chris lackey i'm chad pfeiffer and this has been the hp lovecraft literary podcast at hppodcraft.com hppodcraft.com 